right, let's take our Bibles over to Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans chapter number 13. Miss Marcia left this note up here for me. I want to make sure I, I don't forget to announce this. Uh, some of you signed up um, to go on the sight and sound trip to see Moses on August 17th and 18th. And if you did, this pertains to you. If not, then don't worry about it. But those of you that did, uh, you need to be at the church at 7.45 a.m. on that Thursday morning. Uh, The show is the same day, and we need to get down there uh, to see it uh, before it starts. And the bus will be leaving the parking lot at 8 a.m. sharp. If you're not here, you will get left. So keep that in mind. If we get there late, then we won't be allowed to enter until the intermission, and uh, that would be no good, no bueno. So help us with that and uh, make note of that. That would be great. Romans chapter 13. We're going to take the month of August, and we're going to cover a different set of uh, a different topic than we've looked at this year. Our theme this year is the commands of Christ. Uh, We're going to take the month of August, and we're going to talk about a dirty four-letter word. You ready? The dirty four-letter word is debt. D-E-B-T. Debt. And I'm not talking about your sin debt. I'm talking about your financial debt. We're going to talk about that um, over the next four weeks. Um, Every fall, I go away for a week, and I spend a lot of time in prayer, planning my preaching calendar, If you've ever thought to yourself, you know what, I had a conversation with Pastor Lejeune and he turned around and preached a sermon that just hit me right between the eyes. Did he write a sermon based on what I told him? The answer to that is no. Alright? I I have my preaching calendar planned out for the entire calendar year uh, and I put that together in the fall for the next year. And so sometimes it works out that way. I think, oh man, I'm going to get up and preach this, and such and such is going to think I'm picking on them. Uh, But that is not how that works. I put my sermons together, um, sermon, at least I put together the topics I'm going to preach on months and months in advance, and I very much hold to that. And so back last fall, while speaking with the Lord in prayer, uh, I became burdened that we don't do enough for the work of the Lord financially. And I feel like the cause of that is debt. We can't. Because we are laden with debt. And we can't give to the work of the Lord like we want to. Because we owe so much money on other things. And uh, we're going to talk about that topic. I am not going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about tithing over the next four weeks. I know when I get on money, people get, uh, they get nervous. And even they get bothered because they think I'm coming after their wallet. Here's what I want to help you with over the next four Sundays. I want to help you come up with a plan to not be shackled down to debt anymore. And from there, if you decide to give to the work of the Lord, that will be on you. But I know this, if you can live debt-free, you'll be a happy, happy, happy person. And uh, you'll be a completely different person than you are right now. You'll see the world a whole lot different. So we're going to talk about that topic. The title of our series is going to be Dealing with Debt. Dealing with Debt. We're going to look at that topic over the next four weeks. This poor guy... It's just laden with credit card debt and car loans and a house payment, and uh, it's burying him. How many of you have at some point in your life, maybe currently, maybe in the past, felt like the guy on the screen right there? How many of you know what I'm talking about, all right? 
Uh, the rest of you, God bless you that you didn't have to deal with that or you're just being very dishonest right now, okay? But uh, almost everyone here at some point has known what it's like to deal with that. Let's take for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 13 this morning and verse number 8. Romans 13 and verse number 8. Let's read it together. Here we go. Ready? Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. The verse is very, very particular here that we're to owe no man anything. This morning we're going to look at this topic of the causes of debt. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, as we dive into a difficult, difficult topic. And Lord, even a touchy topic. Give me the grace as I talk on this topic, Lord, to... Uh, Be gentle uh, with those who uh, find this to be a sore spot. But Lord, direct enough and uh, clear enough from Your Word to be able to help uh, people to a place of victory and freedom. And Lord God, You don't want us to be straddled with debt. That was never Your intent. And so Lord God, help us as we look at this topic in great detail over the next month. May people not shy away from church, but Lord, may people grow And Lord, make us stronger. Others here are free of debt and have been for a long time. Lord, help all of us to come hungry for the Word of God regardless and find truths throughout the sermon that will help make us better. Lord God, be with me as I preach, but Lord, be with each one who takes in the sermon. May they, Lord, have an open heart to what's preached. And Lord, may it help each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at these topics. I'm going to go ahead and give you the four sermon titles for the next uh, month. Here they are. Uh, Today's sermon is The Causes of Debt. Next week, we'll look at The Captivity of Debt. The following week, we'll look at The change Changes to Get Out of Debt. And then week four, we'll talk about The Conquest of Debt. What it looks like to have conquered Debt. I hope you'll uh, make every effort to be here. Many people uh, take on debt at a young age in their adult life and they live with it well into retirement age and battle with it. I've done a lot of research for this uh, sermon series and some of the things I have found have been very startling. And I know this, that just because you are between 50 and 59 years old does not mean yet that you're out of debt. In fact, in my studies... People aged 50 to 59 carry more credit card debt than any other decade. And so just because you've gotten to where you're in your 50s, that doesn't mean you don't need this. It doesn't mean that it won't help you. And and I hope that you'll uh, buckle down and be here uh, for the next four weeks. I'd like to give you a little bit of my background on this topic uh, so that you'll understand where I'm coming from in preaching this series. And when I was just a small boy, I got my first job. I was 12, getting ready to turn 13, and I got hired at Reeves Peach Farm in Hartsell, Alabama. I was wearing bib overalls with a pocket full of sunflower seeds, not chewing tobacco, sunflower seeds. And I'm out there with my straw hat and my thick Alabama accent, chewing on my strawberry or my um, uh, sunflower seeds and uh, picking strawberries pruning peach trees, picking apples, uh, stringing up uh, rows of tomatoes, working hard. And you know what? I got paychecks from that. Um, But when you're 12, 13, 14 years old and you're getting money, let me tell you how you usually spend that money. You spend it on Mountain Dew and Taco Bell. All right? Lots of Taco Bell and lots of Mountain Dew. In fact, we'd stop uh, on the way to work 
in the, in my ride was up on the way to work, and I would buy a giant 32-ounce Gatorade, and then we'd stop on the way home, and I'd buy a giant 20-ounce uh, uh, Mountain Dew along with some kind of a treat, and, and uh, I'd turn around after making hundreds of dollars, and I'd have no money left. No money left. Well, uh, then I got a job working at a snow cone stand in Baltimore, later at Burger King, and uh, my parents forced me to save money in order to go to college. I think they were taking my paychecks and putting it in a bank account I couldn't touch because of my spending habits, and I became uh, ready to go off to college, and I even had a scholarship that first year. It didn't cover my room and board, but it did cover my tuition. My whole first year of college tuition was covered on this scholarship, and I had plenty of money in the bank to pay my room and board. And then I went to college, and I opened up my first checking account. And I had a book of checks, which to me meant I could spend all the money I wanted. I had the attitude of if there are checks in the checkbook, then that means there's money in the bank. All right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about here. And um, I uh, remember going and writing my first check out, thinking, man, this is amazing. I got a debit card. And, man, I was swiping that thing like there was no tomorrow. And, and um, uh, friends wanted to go bowling. I'll pay for everybody. And uh, let, let's, go, let, let's go get pizza afterwards. I'll pay for that, too. And I was the prodigal, right, just wasting all my money. Money on righteous living, not drinking. I was a Bible college student, but just living it up, having a good time. Well, something happened. I got to March, and I should have had plenty of money to pay my school bill. And I looked at my bank account, and all of a sudden, I wasn't going to be able to pay April's tuition payment or room and board payment. And I didn't want to get kicked out of the dorm, so I went and got a job. And I worked that job, and through those paychecks, I paid off the rest of the school year. But I had thousands of dollars when I went to college. And now all of a sudden I had established a habit of just being wasteful with money. Um, I, got, uh, I got home that summer, got a job, saved up some money, went back to college. And then I got a job that got me through college. I worked on a truck dock, driving a forklift 40 hours a week, an hour from college campus. I was pulling full load of classes, driving an hour to get to work, working 40 hours a week, driving home an hour, uh, not sleeping much, but I was making 13 to $15 an hour. I think I maxed out somewhere around 16 15 an hour, which back in the early 2000s was a lot more than it is today. And You know what? I had enough money to pay my school bill and some, but for some reason I got down to the end of each month and I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money. How many of you, I'm not just telling my story, I'm telling your story too. All right, didn't have any money. You know why I didn't have any money? Because we would stop at gas stations on the way up to work, and I would buy a, a soda, and I would buy uh, something to eat, and then on the way home, it just so happened there was a Burger King right down the road from the from my workplace, and you know what they had? These boogers they sold ninety nine cent whoppers. A college boy and ninety nine cent whoppers. I mean, that's a marriage made in heaven, brother Sean. There were times I'd buy two Whoppers at 11 o'clock at night, and I would eat both of those on the way home and then toss and turn all night because I couldn't sleep, all right? And uh, you know what? Uh, I was nickeling and diming that money. And while I was making my college payment every month, sometimes I was a week late, sometimes I was 10 days late, I was making the payment every month, I was making more than enough money, but I was blowing that money 
and I was establishing some very poor habits. And then it came time for me to get married, and my poor wife had no idea how poor my money, uh, my poor uh, fiance had no idea how poor my money uh, skills were at the time, and and I had six credits left and one semester to go, and so I decided I would finish up those six credits in three weeks of summer school, and I took the last semester and I went home and I worked three jobs in order to save up money for us to get married. This was my schedule. 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., I worked at Solo Cup driving a forklift. I got off work at 7 a.m. I drove an hour to, down into Baltimore City and worked for a construct a man, sort of like Brother Vara, working a construction job. I worked that job from 8.30 until about noon. I, I drove from there over to the church, changed into some dress clothes, walked into the Christian school, watched the high school lunch hour from 12.30 until about 1, 1.15, and then I taught a Bible class, and then I did P.E. I got done at 3 o'clock. I drove to my parents' house. I slept for about six and a half hours. I got up and I did it all over again. I did that for an entire semester. I about killed myself. Fell asleep at the wheel multiple times. About wrecked my car. And uh, you know what though? I had just enough money to get married on. And so we uh, got our first apartment and uh, had no more money in the bank. But I uh, had the honeymoon lined up. And so uh, we were opening up wedding reception gift cards on our way to our honeymoon, pulling all the $50 bills out so we could afford the honeymoon. I'm not making this up. Um, we stayed in one of these timeshare resorts where you got to go to a presentation to get a couple of nights in a hotel room on our honeymoon. Now, it wasn't because I didn't make enough money in college. I was wasteful with my money. And and, uh, you know, it's one of those presentations that go on and on and on. And you want to scratch your eye. How many of you ever sat through one of those? You want to scratch your eyeballs out when you're done, right? Angela wanted to, newlyweds, Angela's wanting to scratch my eyeballs out by the time this is over. And um, uh, we, uh, we got our first jobs in church ministry. My paycheck was 18500 a year. Her paycheck was 18000 a year. She was an assistant teacher. I was a full-time teacher plus athletic director. And so we're living on just under $37,000 a year. And we literally had about 70 bucks left over every month once we paid all the bills. And that was with everything going perfect and us running the climate control in our home warm and cold depending on the time of the year. And, and you know what, though? I had already established some bad habits. So in order to keep up with those bad habits, we did what any nonsensible young couple would do. We went and got a credit card. And here began our problems. Because now if we wanted to go out to eat, it was swipe the card. And if we wanted to go down to the Goodwill and buy a bunch of clothes, it was we couldn't afford them all, right? Our credit loan was only $500. So it was swipe the credit card, swipe the credit card, swipe the credit card. And the next thing you know, we begin, we begin to pile up credit card debt. And this would, these habits would continue. While we did eventually put some money in savings, we also had credit card debt that was greater than our savings. And here we are making minimum payments. Here we are getting buried deeper and deeper in debt until about 2017 when I took out a loan, a personal loan for $30,000. And I'm not giving financial advice. I'm just simply telling you what I did. I took out a personal loan for $30,000 and I consolidated all of our debt into that one payment. I paid off all the cars. I paid off Ashley Furniture. I paid off all the credit card. I paid off a bunch of medical bills. And now we've got $30,000 of debt that we're supposed to pay back in 
48 months. And so, on the first of every month, $726, whoo, there it went. It's taken right out of our account. And you talking about feeling like you have an elephant sitting on your chest. I took a pair of scissors, took my credit cards, and I cut up every credit card I had and said, if we don't have the money in the bank, we ain't going to buy it. This is 2017. And there were, there, were, there were plenty of weeks where that $726 would leave the account and that would leave us with negative $14.38 for the next nine days until the next payday hit. But we weren't going to go get another credit card because if we couldn't afford it, we weren't going to buy it. Now, I was smart enough on payday to hurry up and run and get cash to give to Angela for groceries and to get cash to be able to buy some other necessities. But we rationed food and we rationed gasoline. I can remember riding around Stratford thinking, I better not do this long because I've got to preserve gas. But riding around Stratford thinking, I'm going to die from this financial load that's sitting on my chest. How many of you know what it's like to have so much debt that you just feel like you can't hardly breathe? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're not there now, but maybe you've been there. In 2019, we paid off that loan. And uh, i got to tell you, that was one of the happiest days of my life. Getting married's right here. Paying off that debt's like right here. <laughs> Amen? I went to sleep lighter than a feather. I went from having an elephant on my chest and going, no more $726 payment every month. And you know what? Something happened. Now all of a sudden, we didn't have $726 every month. You know what? Life happens and, and, and life gets busy. Uh, life gets expensive. And uh, we lived strapped to debt. And now, praise God, for the last four years or so, we have been debt-free. We sold our home and moved into the home here Next to the church, we no longer own our own home, but we don't have any debt. I stand up here today as an adult man who has experienced life with debt more than I have it, but at the moment, I stand here debt-free. That does not make me some uh, body that has a right to tell you what to do, but I think uh, I've lived life enough through these experiences. Here's, here's a phrase for you. I fell out of the debt tree and I hit every branch on the way down. All right? I've made every mistake there is to make. I've never filed bankruptcy, but boy, there were times where I wish I, should, I could have, or I felt like maybe I should. Turn over to Proverbs 22, verse 7. Look with me at Proverbs 22, verse 7. I want you to see this verse here. We're going to look at this verse again next week when we talk about the captivity of debt. We're going to really expound on this. But I want you to see this verse. The Bible says, The rich... I'll give you another minute to get there. I still hear lots of pages turning. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. And hold your place in Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs quite a bit today. Proverbs 22. Look at verse number 7. Everybody there? Read it with me, will you? Here we go. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Read it with me again. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So according to this verse, if you owe money to someone, then you have a ruler. And if you owe money to someone, then you are a servant. Those are not my words. Those are the Bible's words. Uh, during my time of being strapped for cash, 
I'd stand behind this pulpit and I would push the church to give towards someone's need. I'd push the church to give toward a mission missionary who had a problem. Or I'd push the church to help with a benevolence need in the church. And you know what? I would reach in my pocket to give and I would only find a dollar or two there. Because I had to pay Visa or MasterCard or Ashley Furniture or a car loan or 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 this large personal loan and, and I didn't have I'm pushing you to give and, and I always found a dollar or two to give, but I wouldn't have it to give. Here's my theory, White Oak Baptist Church. Alright? Uh, let me just say up front, I don't know who needs this sermon. And I don't want you to look around this room and, and judge who needs this sermon. Here's what I've learned is that some of the best dressed people who live in the biggest houses carry some of the greatest debt. And some of the people who look uh, the most simple, that live in the simplest houses, they've amassed a lot of wealth. And sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes people who live simple, they just don't have any money. And that's why they live simple. And people who live lavishly, they have a lot of money that enables them to live lavishly. What I'm saying is you cannot judge a book by its cover. You cannot look at someone and know, I don't know your personal finances in here unless you have opened up and told me. I don't know. But I know this. This is a problem in our world. This is a problem, I believe, in our church. And one evidence of that is our offerings. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about tithing in this series. That's not really going to be a main point of emphasis in the preaching. But I am, maybe call me naive, but I am a believer that many of you in here want to give more to the work of the Lord than you do, but you can't. You can't because you're shackled to debt. And until you get unshackled from debt, you can't open up your wallet and give. I look at our offerings every week and I think, boy, that's not one-tenth of the income of our church. It's probably not one-fortieth of the income of our church. Why is it we don't give more? Because we can't. Because we're strapped down to debt. And if that's where you are... I understand. Let me just say this. There were times, I'm being very transparent right now. There were times that the only reason I was putting 10% of my income in the offering plate was because I was the pastor. And if I wasn't the pastor and I was just sitting on the pew like you, I probably wouldn't have done it because I probably would have felt like I couldn't afford it. But being the pastor, I am obligated to tithe. Because if I'm not doing it, how can I expect any of you to do it? But I did it because it was right. And you know what? I believe that's a big part of the reason why I got out of my financial problems. Now, I want to offer... Well, let me say this first. I've done a lot of lot of research in preparation for this sermon. I've read lots of articles. I've done a lot of digging and uh, hours and hours and hours of preparing for this series of sermons. And let me uh, one of the things I stumbled across that blew me away, people who make between $100,000 and $150,000 a year, according to many, many researches, this is many, many different sources cite this, are, uh, people who make between $100,000 and $150,000 a year are more likely to live paycheck to paycheck than those who make less. They are more likely to carry credit card debt month to month. Why is this? Now, we're going to address some of that in next week's sermon. But in fact, of those who are in this range, 100000 150000 a year, 56% would not be able to quickly come up with $400 of cash if they had to. Now, what does it mean to be in debt? It means that you owe more than you're worth. You owe more than you're worth. Now, 
I want to offer a couple of disclaimers up front. All right. When I don't offer disclaimers, I end up with a phone call or someone in my office and makes me wish I had offered the disclaimer. So listen closely. All right. Disclaimer number one. I am not a financial advisor or a consultant. Everybody hear that? I am a pastor. All right. Disclaimer number two. I have authority to speak on this topic because God's Word speaks on this topic. Amen? I have authority to speak on this topic because God's Word speaks on this topic. In fact, of the 39 distinct parables found in the Gospel, 13 of them involve money. That's one out of three. So, here I am. I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. If I avoid the topic of money, I am avoiding one of the most talked about topics in Scripture. In fact, uh, the topic Jesus talked about the most in His ministry was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The second most spoken about topic that Jesus addressed was money. So if you don't like it, take it up with the Bible. And uh, if you don't like it, go attend Miss Marcia's class and learn to control your tongue. Amen? All right. I propose that all of the money that you and I have belongs to God. He's called us to be good stewards of it. One day, we're going to give an account for how well we managed His money when we stand before Him. Christians are not called to live lives shackled to debt. But instead, Christians are called to live lives of freedom. Listen, and financial prosperity. You say, Pastor, are you saying that Christians should be financially prosperous? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I am not a health and wealth gospel preacher. But I know this after having studied this topic in great detail, that God has not called Christians to live in debt. God has called Christians to live above debt and to live with money in the bank. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to be rich to be a good Christian. But it does mean that you ought to uh, uh, stay free of debt and be responsible with the money God's given you. Much of the causes of debt can be traced back to behaviors that are out of line with Scripture. And we're going to, we, I would want you today to adjust those behaviors uh, that cause the large majority of debt. And I believe if you will, it will cause a debt to begin to vanish. So we're going to look closely at three drivers of debt. Three drivers of debt. Now, I'm sure there are others, but these are the three major drivers of debt as we open this new series dealing with debt. Today we'll look at the title, The Causes of Debt. So let's get your bulletins out. On the back you'll find a fill-in-the-blank outline. Let's take some notes this morning. Number one, notice the first cause of debt is a lack of financial margin. A lack of of financial margin. Let's get right into it here. Letter A knows God's source of income. You should be in the book of Proverbs. Turn over to chapter number 6. Proverbs chapter number 6 and verse number 6. Proverbs 6 verse 6. I open the sermon by telling you about my journey so that you understand I'm not talking down to you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking amongst you. If you're there, I know how it is. I, I know how it feels. If you're saddled with debt, I can relate with you. I, I was there just a handful of years ago, but God offers freedom from that. God's source of income. Look with me at Proverbs 6. And verse number 6. Notice here. Go to the ant. What are those next two words? 
Thou sluggard. I think of a slug very slowly crawling along the way. You ever seen people that move like a slug? They just, they just have no purpose to life. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, thou lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the, uh, in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yea, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Read verse 11 with me. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. You're going to be so desperate, you're going to turn to thievery in order to get by, instead of earning it uh, justly and with integrity, you're going to go steal it because you are too lazy to earn it on your own. Thy want as an armed man. Now, God gave us here the example of the ant. Now, an ant is one of the smallest creatures walking planet Earth. You know what? how easy it is to kill an ant? You just reach down with your thumb and you just a little pressure and he's gone. But that little... Uh, ant with no real strength uh, in comparison to us, it sure does have the uh, energy to go out and earn uh, earn its keep and to prepare for that uh, difficult time and that hardship. And you know what it doesn't need? It doesn't need someone to come along and kick him in the rear and tell him to get to work. It doesn't need someone to come unplug the alarm clock from the wall and flip someone's mattress over and say, quit hitting the snooze button and get to work. It doesn't need someone to uh, look at the watch and say, hey, why are you late to work again? How come you can't show up on time? Hey, how come someone's got to constantly stand over your shoulder and make sure you're not playing some game on your phone? or that you're not talking to a co-worker. Hey, how come it is that an ant can get to it, but we uh, sometimes are so lazy in our effort? Turn over to Proverbs 22. Hold your place in Proverbs 6. Proverbs 22, and look at verse number 29. Now, God, what is God's source of income? It's the energy to go to work and earn the wages to cover your needs. Someone says, oh, I, I have all these needs and they're not being met. Well, the the question is, are you going to work? Are you putting out the effort necessary? Look at verse 29. Seest thou a man... What's that next word? Diligent. That means hardworking. That means someone who pays attention. Diligent in his business. He shall stand uh, before kings. He shall not stand before mean or dishonest men. Notice the word diligent. That means he is working hard. He is thorough and efficient in his work. Instead of finding an excuse on why he's late to work all the time, instead of finding an excuse as to why he needs to miss yet another day, as of finding an excuse as to why the project didn't get done efficiently and on time, instead he finds a way. She finds a way. And as a result, he is going to stand in front of powerful people. Turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and look with me at verse Number 10. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse number 10. Hold that place in Proverbs 6. We're going to come back there in just a moment. 2 Thessalonians 3. Here we find a verse that uh, many of us are familiar with. A verse that uh, Christians and non-Christians alike like to quote, at least a part of it. And a, a very good verse. But boy, it expounds past that in verses 11 and 12. And gets even more particular And talking about uh, being a kick in the, in the pants of someone who's lazy. Look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Say that with me. That if any would not work, 
neither should he eat. You know what that means? If you haven't gone and worked, you don't deserve to eat. How about you go work and then you can put it in your own mouth? Look at verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. You know why they're walking among you disorderly? Because they're not at work. So now they have time to go get in trouble. Working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Now, someone says to me, they say, oh, look, the church, we get pity party calls all the time. Uh, uh, people call, they've never been to church here. They've never once attended. And, and, and can, uh, can, can you give me some groceries? Can, can, can you pay my light bill? Can, can you pay my rent? Oh, oh, last minute, last minute. Help, 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 my hair's on fire. And it's like, well, we're not a bank. We're a church. And we're here to offer you spiritual support. Now, if you attend here, right? Have you ever been to one of our services? Well, no. Well, 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 would you consider coming to one of us? Oh, I'll be there Sunday. Yeah, you'll be there Sunday if I give you $200 right now. Right? Well, well, do you have a job? Well, I've been out of work for some time. Listen, God's source of income is strength. So you go to work. So you get a paycheck. So you can pay your bills. Amen? Amen. Turn to First Timothy chapter 5. I'm running you all over the Bible this morning. But um, uh, this is a topical sermon, so uh, turn those, turn those uh, uh, pages of the Bible. You have a marker in Proverbs 6, I'm going to have you put a marker in 1 Timothy 5, because after this we're going to come back and look at one other verse in this chapter. Look at 1 Timothy 5, look at verse 18. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now notice here how this works. Alright? Watch this now. God gives you strength so that you can go to work so that you can earn a paycheck so that you can buy food so that you can have strength so that you can go to work so that you can earn a paycheck so that you can buy food so that you can have strength so that you'll go to work so that you can earn a paycheck so that you can buy Food so that you can... You get the idea here? God's source of income is that He gives you strength not to sit and push X, Y, A, B on a controller in your mama's basement. Not so that you can complain about you how you have this problem and that problem. No, so that you'll get off your lazy rear end and you'll go to work and you'll pay your own way through life. God's source of income. Now, this may not be a popular statement, but I can only gather one thing from Proverbs 6, studying the ant, and 1 Thessalonians 3, and that is this, that God is not a socialist. He doesn't want me to work and you to eat from my work. He wants you to work and you to eat from your work. I had a guy stand right back there in the back of the auditorium a handful of months ago after a funeral, and he told me, he said, Jesus was a socialist. And I smiled and I said, no, he wasn't. First Thessalonians 3, go read it. Amen. Read it and weep. Letter A, God's source of income. Letter B, our stream of outgo. Our stream of outgo. I don't want to dwell real long on, on that last statement, but here's what I think. When someone comes to me and they don't have the income to pay their bills, I ask them, are you working? If they say no, instead of just giving them money... 
What I want to do is help them find a job. Who was the philosopher that said you can either give a man a fish and feed him for a day or you can teach a man a fish and you'll feed him for life? And you know what? That's really the way to go. And I really think that if the government would get out of the way with all their welfare programs and send people to the churches for help, then churches in the local communities could take people who don't have a work ethic and could help them get a work ethic and could help them get through life. But as a pastor and as a church, we are crippled by paying high taxes to a government who just redistributes blindly to everybody, and now nobody really wants to come to the church and get help uh, and learn these things. Our stream of outgo. So you have gone to work and you've earned that income. What are you supposed to do with it? You are to use it to provide for the basic needs of those who depend on you. Look at First First Timothy chapter five. Look at verse eight. Paul tells Timothy, "But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house." He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And this is the guy who goes to work, gets a check, goes to the bar, wastes all the money at the bar, comes home with very little uh, to give his family. Or a man who's just wasting his money on things that are not necessary and then can't put food in the refrigerator and can't uh, pay the mortgage and ends up uh, foreclosed on and kicked out because he's uh, uh, frivolous with money. Now, notice here that we have to be careful how we spend our money. Let me break it down for you like this. Notice first, life's necessities. Life's necessities. Um, look with me at, um, uh, rather, let me quote for you Matthew 6.33. But seek, if you know it, say it with me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So notice this, you put God's kingdom first, and you work hard in God's kingdom, and you work hard at your job, and all of a sudden God looks after your basic necessities. Matthew 6 lays out for us what those necessities are, and we find three necessities in Matthew 6.33. We find food, clothing, and shelter. I'm going to add two more to the list because we live in the 21st century. Two more necessities to the list, all right? Transportation to get to and from work. How many believe that's a necessity in the 21st century? You need a car to get to and from work. If you don't need a car, then you need to live somewhere where you can walk back and forth to work, and then your transportation would be your feet, amen? And so, But we need transportation to get to and from work. Uh, here's one more necessity in the 21st century, and that is basic utilities. How many believe you wouldn't be able to survive in the winter in Connecticut without a heater? All right, it'd be tough, wouldn't it? And I've known some people to do it. It is not easy. And I would view that as a necessity. All right, now let's talk about not only life's necessities, let's talk about life's niceties. Life's niceties. I find it amazing that so many people are so deep in debt given the incomes that they make. Why is that? Why is it that so many are being choked out with financial burden? Listen to Luke eight fourteen. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they had heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to repentance. Now, um, I'm, I'm, I'm being loose with this verse. Admittedly, I'm pulling an application from the verse and I'm not giving you the interpretation. But can I just say this uh, this morning that many of us are being choked out. Our, our financial prosperity is being choked out, not from a lack of income, but because our stream of outgo, we're spending money on things that we just don't need. We're spending money on things that are gaudy and are unnecessary. And as a result, uh, we, are, we are experiencing deep debt. Deep debt. And we're spending money on the pleasures of 
this life. Some of you here, what you need to do in order to get more financial margin is you need to increase your income. That might mean you have to get creative and uh, drive for Uber or do Uber Eats or uh, sell some things that you uh, own that are valuable that you just don't want to let go of. But you need to increase that income or you need to decrease the outgo. Here's a very... Here's the most basic thing I'm going to say all day that so many people have a hard time with. At the end of each month, your income needs to be greater than your outgo. Or you will get deeper and deeper in debt. How many of you are smart enough to understand what I just said? All right. Now, how many of us are disciplined enough to do that? All right. Your income needs to be greater than your outgo. If your outgo is greater than your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. You with me? All right. You don't know what that means. Go look it up. All right. You, you can't keep spending more money than you're making. So why are we saddled with so much debt? Lack of financial margin. Number two, lack of money management. Lack of money management. Go back to Proverbs six. Proverbs chapter six. Look at me at verse number six. Proverbs six and verse number six. We're told to go to the ants. We're told to consider her ways and be wise. How many ever watch ants crawl away from a picnic in perfect formation carrying crumbs on their back? How many were mean enough to actually kill the ants? Shame on you. They're providing for their own. Leave them alone. Amen? Now, if they're in your house, that's one thing. But if they're out on a picnic table, let them be. Just let them be, right? What are they doing with those crumbs? They're carrying them away. And they're storing them so that when it's cold outside and they can't go out in the cold, they have a reserve. Now, can I speak to us in human terms? We call that an emergency fund. We call that a surplus. So that all of a sudden when your alternator goes and you need $400, you have $400. And that emergency has gone from an emergency to just being an inconvenience. Um. We have set money aside, and that money is there like the ant. We are considering her ways and be wise. Jesus said in Luke fourteen twenty eight, He said, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Now, this verse is in reference to counting the cost of following Christ and, and being His disciple and not making some half-hearted, half-concocted decision, but, but, but to, again, to make an application, nobody should begin building a building unless they've considered how much it's going to cost and they're ready to pay for the whole thing. Let me just share with you how deep in debt Americans are. Now, the first stat I'm going to give you is two years old. So no doubt this number is exponentially higher uh, than what I'm going to put on the screen. But Americans uh, carry collectively total $1.4 trillion of debt. I can't wrap... It's higher than that, actually. Okay, it's, This is two years old. I can't wrap my mind around $1.4 trillion dollars in debt. Alright? And that includes mortgage debt, student loans, medical bills, on and on it goes. Alright? All the debt combined. 
And that's according to RamseySolutions.com. I pulled from many sources. His was one. Uh, they need to update their articles because their articles are like two years old. Right? Uh, but uh, uh, this one is more recent. As of quarter one of 2023, Americans have $986 billion of credit card debt. Put that next slide up there for me. $986 billion in credit card debt. That's a lot of credit card debt. A lot of credit card debt. Let me show you what this has looked like. Put the next chart up there for me. Back in, let me turn so I can see here. Back in quarter one of 1999, Americans had less than five, collectively, less than $500 million in credit card debt. And as of quarter one, 2023, we reached an all-time high of $986 billion. It's not getting better, folks. It's getting worse. It's get, this looks like a hockey stick right here from uh, 2020 uh, forward. Now, I know the pandemic played into some of that because a lot of us went to Home Depot and took out a credit card and fixed up our house since we had nothing else to do. That's not good. And you know what? When we have to make those minimum payments to Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, that's that much less money we have for other causes that are important. Now, I'm going to give you um, another set of facts here. This is fascinating to me. According to one source, here are the 10 wealthiest states by median household income. Ready? Coming in at number 10, 10 wealthiest of the 50 is Minnesota. Throw that up there. Minnesota. Number 9, Hawaii. Number 8, Wyoming. Number 7, Virginia. A lot of that's that D.C. money. Number 6, Alaska, number five, Maryland. Again, that D.C. money. Our government likes to pay themselves a lot of money. Number four, New Jersey. Number three, there we are, Connecticut. Number two, New York. Number one, Massachusetts. California didn't make the list. Everyone's moving out of California, amen? Um, <laughs> taking their money with them. Now, I, look, there, if you, I pulled up all kinds of lists. I think I must have looked at 20 different lists of the 10 wealthiest state. Connecticut was number one in two of them. Uh, they were as low as number seven in other lists. And so this was a, a mostly reputable source. Uh, so depending on what source you're looking at, th these can be arranged a little bit different. But Connecticut was in the top five in almost all of them of wealthiest states. Now, according to Lending Tree's website... These are the 10 states which carry the highest month-to-month -month credit card balances. Ready for this? So month-to-month -month credit card balances that roll over. Coming in at number 10, Alaska. Number 9, Massachusetts. Number 8, Maryland. Number 7, Hawaii. Number 6, Florida. Number 5, Texas. Can you feel the angst building in the room? <laughs> number four. Number four, Rhode Island. Number three, New Jersey. Number two. <laughs> New York. Number one. Connecticut. That's not something to clap over, all right? 
So we're the third highest income earners in the country, and we carry more debt than any other state. Now, some of that is, is Greenwich money. I get that. I, years ago, I looked at the poorest county in Connecticut and compared it to the richest county in Mississippi. And the poorest county in Connecticut makes more money, median household income, than the richest county in Mississippi. We are, we are a wealthy state. I get our taxes are high. I understand that. I understand that taxes are higher than a lot of other people. But why is it that we're the third wealthiest state, yet we carry the most credit card balance? I believe that one of the major reasons is instantaneous gratification. Even if it means we can't actually afford it. For many years, my model was if I want it, then buy it. Want a coffee from Dunkin' or Starbucks? Buy it. By the way, you go down to Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. Can I tell you what you don't find on every corner? A Dunkin' or a Starbucks. They're not there. They're not. If you want coffee, you brew it at home, and you might own a Starbucks mug, and you walk around with status, because you ain't stopping and buying it one, okay? Uh, if you want coffee, you go to the gas station. You go to a racetrack. How many know what racetrack is, all right? A couple of you. You go to a racetrack, and you get a coffee there, and it doesn't taste good, because it's been sitting on the burner for like eight hours, all right? Uh, that's coffee. But here in Connecticut... Man, I was at the bank yesterday uh, over by ShopRite in Milford. There's a credit union over there. But kind of where that advanced DMV is, the quick DMV, you know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to get out of the parking lot, and there was a line 25 cars long trying to go through the Starbucks drive-thru. That's every day. Some of you were the ones sitting in that line. I saw a couple church members. <laughs> Want a coffee from Starbucks or Dunkin'? Buy it. Want to take my family out to eat? Buy it. Want the bag of chips or soda at the checkout counter? Buy it. Want the newest phone, tablet, or computer? Buy it. Want that gadget or trick it off of Amazon? Buy it. Next day delivery, praise God. Here's what many of us do. Here's, listen, listen, listen. Here's what many of us do. We check our bank account, and if there's a positive balance there, we just go ahead and buy what we want. Then we get to the end of the month where we have all of our bills scheduled, the 26th, 27th, and 28th, and we have no way of paying our bills, so we pull out the credit card and we pay it with the credit card. And according to multiple sources, resources, the average American eats out five and a half times per week. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average American family spends eating out $3,000 a year. And I believe in Connecticut, it's probably higher than that. Average household incomes in Stratford, Connecticut. Anybody have any idea how much the average family makes? Average household income in Stratford is. Here it is. It's $104,400 a year. That's the average household income. All right? Now... Um, assuming that you pay 20% of your income to taxes, and it might be higher than that, but these are rough numbers. Stay with me here. If you'll take what I'm about to share in the sermon and you'll put it into practice, it'll transform your finances, all right? If you pay 20% of your ta- uh, money to taxes, that would leave you with, uh, that would leave you paying $1,740 a month. 
If you gave 10% of your finances to the Lord, as commanded in Malachi 3, then you would be giving $870 a month. If you, spent, if you took 15% of your income and either put it towards savings or retirement, that would put you at $1,305 a month. If you were to take 30% of your income and put it toward either rent or mortgage, that would leave you with $2,610 to put toward those things a month. And if you were to put 25% of your income toward your monthly expenses, then you're looking at $2,175 a month. That's to buy groceries and, and you know, toilet paper and pay your light bill and, and pay your cable and all those things. All right, 25%, $2,175 a month. Now, if you were disciplined enough to live by this budget, here's what you would find with your charitable giving. The first year, you would give $10,400 to the Lord. After five years, you would have given $52,000, and this is assuming no pay raises. Over ten years, you would give over $100,000 to the work of the Lord. But it gets better if you take 15% of your money and putting it into savings or retirement, and this is not counting any interest earned, and find a good financial advisor, let them help you invest your money, but just raw cash Going into savings and retirements, year one, you'd save $15,660. By year 10, you're at 156600 In over 40 years of living by this budget, you will have saved raw cash $626,400. So instead of living strapped to debt, paycheck to paycheck, now you have that. And if you've invested that kind of money into the proper retirement accounts, you're probably well into being a millionaire. You say, but pastor, I don't make 104400 a month. Well, let's take someone who makes 52200 a year. Uh, let's skip ahead, if we can, all the way to the, the slide that has all the taxes and, and tithe and savings retirement. Go, go all the way to the end uh, there, of that slide. All right. Right there. Thank you. Hold there. Now, Look at housing, 30%, 1305 a month. Pastor, you can't rent in Stratford for $1,300 a month. You're right. So you know what you need to do? You need to look in the valley or you need to look in Bridgeport. You say, oh, I could never live there. Well, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm being serious. You either need to increase your income or you need to live within your means. Hear me out now. Here's the problem we make. Here's why we have so much debt. We're not willing to live within our means because we're undisciplined. We're undisciplined with our money. Now, um, I'm not bragging. I'm just being transparent. Before we moved here, all right, the church we worked at prior, they were saddled with debt. They had built a building under the previous pastor, and that building cost them $5 million dollars, and their monthly mortgage payment was $29,000 every month. So they couldn't afford to pay me anything. So you know what my salary was at that church? It was $19,500 a year. And Angela didn't work. She took care of the home. That was our structure. That was our agreement. She wanted to work. I didn't let her. I wanted her raising our kids. They were really little at the time. You say, how'd you do it? We made it work. And you know what? If you want to do it bad enough, you'll find a way. You say, well, 52000 is not plausible. Well, then you have to either increase your income 
or decrease your outgo. But let's say that's your salary, all right? Uh, next slide, please. Let's say that you faithfully gave 10% of your income to the Lord. In one year, you'd give 5200 In five years, you'd give 26000 In ten years, you would have given over $50,000 to the eternal work of the Lord. We call that making a deposit into your heavenly account. How about savings and retirement? If you live by a 15% plan, then in one year, you will have saved $7,830. In ten years, $78,300. And in 40 years, 313000 $200. Here's my opinion. I'll state it as my opinion. Most of us are in debt because we're very poor managers of the money that we have. We don't manage our money well. We live in a day where we have more tools available at our fingertips to help us be smart with our money, and we don't use any of them. What are the causes of debt? Lack of financial margin. Number two, lack of money management. We'll move through this one quickly. Number three, notice, lack of a contentment mentality. Lack of a contentment mentality. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Letter A, a mentality of entitlement. Back in 1 Timothy. If you still have your marker there, turn back over. 1 Timothy, look at chapter 6 and verse number 8. It's a very short verse. Let me read it for you. And having food and raiment, let us, therewith, let us be therewith content. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Content Again, in the 21st century, our basic needs are what? Food, clothing, shelter, transportation, utilities. When I say housing, I don't mean a three-car garage. All right. I don't mean, I don't mean, I've had it happen to me too, but okay, Siri likes to take over the church service sometimes. Uh, I don't mean, you know, like some plush place to live. I don't mean some palace a king lives in. I mean a place you can have a roof over your head and a place you can stay dry when it rains outside. Now, entitlement. Notice what's not on the list. The newest cell phone. Oh, the iPhone 28's coming out. i got to go get it. All right? Uh, ooh, it's got a notch. <gasps> I've got to have the one with the dynamic island. You, you know what I mean? Like I gotta, I, I gotta have the latest and the greatest. What's not on the list? Designer clothes. It's not on the list. Now, if you can afford designer clothes, go buy them. I'm happy for you. I'm, ex- I mean it. I mean, it. my wife owns some designer clothes. I mean it, I, and I'm excited for you. Amen. Uh, but, but don't do that and put yourself in debt in the process. Here's what's not on the list. A name brand car with less than 100,000 miles on it. Well, you know, my car's getting up there. It's got 99,000. Time to go trade that one in and get a new lease. Oh, what a poor decision. A 2,500 square foot home, not on the list. Eating out regularly. Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks runs. Oh, I put this one on here on purpose. How about this one? A working dishwasher. That's not on the list. Oh, I can't live without my dishwasher. God gave you a dishwasher. It's these right here. Amen? Get down in that sink and scrub. Scrub. You know what? Uh, we've had plenty of times in our marriage where we didn't have a, a working uh, uh, mechanical dishwasher. And you know what? There are four people that live in Lejeune House and all of us have washed our share of dishes. No one's washed near as many as that lady right there. She's probably triple what all the rest of us are. Uh, but you know what? All of us have washed our share of dishes. Oh, I can't live without my dishwasher. Well, then you're just speaking about how entitled you are. 
a mentality content, a contentment and mentality. Notice letter B. Notice a mentality of covetousness. A mentality of covetousness. David wrote in Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd. Finish it with me. I shall not want. You know what that means? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I've got all I need. I've got, I don't need a, a phone to make me happy. I don't need a brand new necklace to make me happy. I don't need the latest, greatest designer purse to make me happy. I don't need a new suit to make me happy. I don't need a Lexus vehicle to make me happy. I, look, those things are great and they might bring some happiness, but my real joy is found that the Lord is my shepherd. Turn over to Hebrews 13. Look with me in verse number 5. We're almost done here. We're coming in for a landing. Going to cover letter B, letter C, some closing comments, and we're done. Did you know that every preacher has a hard time with bringing the sermon to an end? Uh, Paul wrote, I think it was the book of Philippians, he said, finally, brethren, in chapter 3, but there's four chapters in the book. Amen? And even Paul had a hard time with telling the truth about uh, bringing the sermon to a close. Look with me at uh, Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse number 5. Everybody there? I want everybody to see this here. This verse is so, so rich. Look at verse 5. Let your conversation... Now, 99% of the time, when you see the word conversation in the King James Bible, it means our modern-day word, lifestyle. So let your lifestyle or your conversation be without covetousness. Read that next part of the verse with me. Ready? And be content with such things as ye have. So look at the things you have... And be content. You say, Pastor, my driver's side door is being held closed by a bungee cord. Be content with such things as ye have. Pastor, my house is leaky and drafty. Be content with such things you have. Pastor, my clothes are getting a little threadbare. Be content with such things ye have. I've shared the story, but my wife and I used to live across the street from a liquor store. We'd have people over and there'd be cars coming in and out of the liquor store. Parallel parking and some Sometimes even bumping into our vehicles. And my wife was embarrassed to invite people over because we lived across the street from a liquor store. And she said, Richard, we've been married all these years. When is God going to enable us and bless us to buy our own home? And here's what I told her. God is not going to bless us to be able to buy our own home until you and I both learn to be content living in a house right across the street from a liquor store. We have to learn to be content with what we have before God will give us what we desire. And God's not going to give you what you desire. By the way, being content doesn't mean that you have to be happy to have uh, less than uh, uh, for the rest of your life. What it means is you have to trust that this is where God wants me to be and this is what God wants me to have right now. And I'm okay with that until He changes my circumstances. Look at back at verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For He hath said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, you have to learn to let God be all that you need. You have to, you have to let that, you have to let that realize that sometimes you won't understand that he, Christ is all you need until you come to the conclusion that He's all you have. And when you realize that that relationship with Jesus is of the utmost importance, boy, you'll find that Jesus will take care of your basic needs. Let her see, lastly. Notice a mentality of self-reliance. Let's finish the sermon in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. I'm going to ask everyone to turn over there. I made a bold statement earlier that the Bible wants Christians to be 
prosperous financially. And uh, some people wince and cringe at a statement like that. They don't like talk of prosperity when it comes to wealth. And I grew up in a Baptist movement that uh, seemed to um, sort of glorify poverty. And, and the poorer you were, the more godly you were. And the less money you had, you know, the, the more like Christ you were. And, and listen, I, I, don't, I just don't find that when I read the book of Proverbs. God wants us to be prosperous, including financially prosperous. And Proverbs 3 tells us that if we'll learn to trust the Lord, He's going to increase us financially. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding in all thy ways. That includes how you spend money. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. Now let's keep reading. Look at verse 6. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. First Timothy 6 tells us that the love of money is what, church? The root of all evil. So if we're going to fear the Lord and depart from evil, then we're running from a love of money. Because the love of money is the root of that evil. Alright? Now, it, the, the passage is about to get financial. Verse 8, "...it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones." Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. What is substance? That is your material goods. You're to take the material goods that you have and you're to honor the Lord with those things. Look at the rest of the verse. And with the first fruits, here it comes, of all thine increase, of all thy paycheck. You're to honor the Lord with the material goods that you have that you bought with your money, and you're to honor the Lord with your paycheck. Look what happens when we do it God's way. Look at verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with what? New wine. What happens? Our presses burst out with new wine. We are financially prosperous because we have honored the Lord with our substance and our increase. Too often, we're reliant on our own intellect and strength to get by, even when it means that we might disobey God in the process. We lean on our own understanding, and we do not acknowledge the Lord in our financial decisions. Instead of honoring the Lord with our substance, and with the first fruit of our increase, we honor ourselves. What happens? We end up in debt. We end up shackled to high interest rates and credit cards. Instead of having barns filled with plenty, we have bank accounts filled with zeros and credit cards filled with debt. What are the causes of debt? Well, at least in part, lack of financial margin, lack of money management, lack of a contentment mentality. We've been called, we've been called uh, to steward well the money that God has put in our trust. Are you strapped down and shackled to debt? Or are you walking away from debt so that you can honor the Lord with your increase? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you need to work harder or smarter and you're here this morning and you need to increase your income. Maybe this morning you need to curb your appetites and lessen your outgo. Maybe you need to have a plan to better manage your money. Maybe you need to learn to be content with just the simple things that God has given you. Well, I want each of you this morning to ask God, 
how He can work in your heart this morning. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Luzerne, there was a day and time in my life I gave my heart to Christ. I am a believer in Jesus. By His, by His salvation, I'm on my way to heaven. Not because of my good works, but simply my faith in Him. If that's your testimony, would you just raise your hand where you are? I'm a believer in Christ. I have trusted Christ alone to be my Savior. Many hands were raised. Thank you, but not every hand. You may be here today and not know for certain that you're going to heaven. The greatest debt you have is not the Visa or MasterCard. The greatest debt you have is your sin debt. You owe God for all of the sin you committed and you deserve to spend eternity in hell. And I just want to say this morning that Jesus already paid off your debt. He paid that debt on the cross. Imagine if you were to get a call tomorrow that someone had paid off all of your debt. You owed nothing on your mortgage. You owed nothing on a credit card. It was all wiped away. What a happy day that would be. I'm here to tell you that Jesus paid the debt of your sin when He died on the cross. However, that is not laid to your account until you by faith believe that Jesus is your sacrifice and died for you. And until you call on His name, you cannot have that debt totally forgiven. The moment you believe in Jesus and what He did on the cross is resurrection from the dead, He'll save your soul He'll forgive your sin debt. He'll give you a home in heaven. Is there somebody here today that say, Pastor Lejeune, I do not know that my sin debt has been forgiven. I do not know that I've taken advantage of Christ's offer on the cross. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I'm not going to call your name or embarrass you. I'd like to pray for you. Is there one? I see that one hand. Anybody else? I do not know where I'd spend eternity. If you raise your hand just a moment ago, I sure would like to speak with you. Pastor Andrew standing down front here. If you raise your hand, would you just look this way? Everybody else's heads bowed and eyes are closed. Pastor Andrew standing down front here. He'd like to have a lady take the Bible, sitting right down here, and show you how you can know for certain you're going to heaven. In a moment, everyone's going to stand. Many people will come forward and kneel and pray. I'd like to ask you to join them. If you're uncomfortable doing that, after the service, we'll have somebody share with you. But please don't leave here without getting that matter taken care of. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord impressed something in my heart through the preaching today. Some change I need to make. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? There's some change in my life I need to make. God showed me something that needs to change. Would you pray that God would help me to come up with an action plan? Lord God, help us today to be people who are responsible with what you've given us. Lord God, help us to walk in truth. Help us to walk in integrity. In Jesus' name, amen.